Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I am Ted Harrington, your host, and with me today... For the first time as my co-host is Ben Schmerler. He's the Senior Solutions Consultant here at ISE. And we are joined by our special guest, Barry Fediplace, the CTO at Census Technology. So I'm excited to spend some time with both you guys. Awesome. Glad to be here. Totally. Yeah, Barry, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, when we were chatting the other day about preparing for you know what we were going to talk about today, there was there were so many directions that we could go. It was, I just found it so fascinating what you were, the different ideas you were dropping. But maybe a place to start would be for the benefit of our audience. You could just quickly introduce them to yourself and to what it is that you guys do. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Barry Fedplace. I'm the CTO here at Census Technologies. We create instrument tracking software for hospitals, clinics, anyone doing surgery. And we've been an industry leader for the last 20 or so years. Love it. So, Ben, if it's okay with you, here's where I want to start. Of the many th- interesting things that Barry sort of brought to the table, I want to talk about this idea of you know, development in the right way. We were, we were chatting the other day, and you know, a lot of our audience, they're, they're interested in building great technology. And I think that that's, that's something that probably anybody who listens to a show like this probably shares that. And so you talked about sort of ethos, development ethos. So I, I wanted to explore that a little bit. So can you talk to us about what this means to you? What is your ethos in terms of development? Sure. I think, you know, whether you're a developer, a product manager, a VP of strategy or a CTO, when you're developing software, you just want to know that it's useful. It resonates with your customers and your users. You know, I, I talk to developers about this all the time. You know, our, our customers don't get up each day just to use our software. You know, they, they have businesses they're running and we want our software to accentuate that, not get in the way. You know, it's when it gets in the way and causes those, those pain points is where we have problems. So we want to make sure that what we're developing is, is not only a good fit, but it, it really complements what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so that's fascinating. My brother is an expert in user experience and UI UX, and he said something similar to me the other day where he's talking about, I think he used the word empathy, right? Like you have to be really empathetic about what the user goes through. And I, I thought that was really fascinating. I was like, how do you do that? Like, how do you know? And so it's kind of like what you, well, I don't know if it's the same thing, but it's along the lines of what you just described, like understanding whether or not this is going to satisfy what your users need. So how do you figure that out? Great question. I, I think it was uh, Henry Ford who said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have told me to build a f- faster horse. You know, so if you ask your customers what you want, which is ultimately what you have to do, depending on where they are in their day, what's going on, you may get a wide variety of answers. It might be as simple as, hey, put a blue button on this screen. That's going to you know, change my world. But what we really want to know and what we focus on is what are those problems worth solving? And that takes a lot more work. 
Yeah, because if you just ask them, you may not get what you're really looking for. So we do a ton of research working with our customers to try and figure out what those problems are. And, you know, it, it can be as simple as a conversation. It can be surveys. It can be going and shadowing them. Really depends on the customer and what level of access you have. But that's what we're trying to narrow down is, is the real problem we're solving. How do you know that you've got the problem we're solving? So we actually focus on, on three things as part of our data gathering, because as much as possible, you know, we, we really want to remove that emotional element. You know, the customer could be having a bad day and just say, hey, this is terrible. You know, this is the biggest thing I have going on. Or it could be something where they just have this great idea and they think, hey, you should go and build this for us because we think it would be wonderful. So we want to try as much as possible to get some quantitative data around the uh, efforts we're focusing on to know that we're heading the right direction. So these three things that we focus on, first is the intensity. That's really just, you know, how painful is this problem we're solving? Is it something that shuts down your operations for hours at a time? Is it something that, you know, causes just a minor amount of pain? Is it somewhere in between? So that's the first thing. Then it's the frequency. How often does this happen? Is it a, a daily occurrence, an hourly occurrence, something that happens once a year as you're pushing data to a host system? And then finally, the, the density. And that's, that's really how many customers does this impact? Is it you know, just one customer because of a specific interface they have to a hardware system? Is it all of your customers? Is it a specific user, a specific segment of the user base? So we compile all that data and put it together and you can kind of build a cubic model, so to speak, because you've got those three data points and really look at it. And it starts to give you something quantitative to really understand if you're heading down the right path. So you look at that and then you can make an informed decision as to whether or not this is the direction you want to go. And, you know, we'll take that back and, and we'll look at it and working with our, our product management organization, you know, we'll make a decision and say, this is the direction we want to go. Ben, you, you spend a lot of your time talking about customers and what their problems are. So, yeah, I, I wanted to sort of get on the flip side of some of that. You know, you're talking about problems we're solving, but another concept you got into when I first met you was the idea of speculative development. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Because I think that's kind of the flip side of finding problems that are worth solving. It is. I mean, you know, I, I've lost track of the number of times over the years in my career where someone had a great idea, you know, whether it was, you know, a technical lead, it was a product manager, a product director, et cetera, or even a customer. Someone says, hey, I've got this great idea, you know, and, and you spend a ton of capital and uh, capacity building something. Essentially, what you've built is a solution in search of a problem. You float it out there, you hope for the best, and, you know, more often, than not, it underwhelms your customers. And it's, it's really disappointing. I'm tying it back to you know, what resonates in a development organization. There's nothing more demoralizing than pouring your heart and soul into building this. And then it, it never gets used. It gets mothballed yeah. because there's just no market for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now you're more than just a, a regular developer. Now you're kind of a leader, you know, you're a, a CTO, you're not, I mean, I'm sure you're involved in the day-to-day, -day, but I mean, you have to focus on the big picture here. So how do you as a leader sort of get away from the emotional aspects you brought up emotionals earlier or these or these sperm the moment desires and sort of balance that hey this is a great idea maybe balance some egos along with uh, the need to actually get things moving forward how do you deal with that 
Yeah, I mean, it really goes back to that, you know, the process we go through in, in identifying those problems we're solving. And once we've landed on something where we think, all right, this is really going to serve the largest segment of our market, you know, we really think it's going to resonate with customers. At that point, it's still in our minds, it could be speculative development because we think it's going to be good, but now we continue on in the process. So you know, we'll start to take those and we'll ideate, the development teams will sit down, probably won't pull in any UX folks at that point because this can be as rudimentary as a, a stick drawing on a, you know, the back of the napkin. And then what we'll do is we'll sit down with customers, you know, a good cross section of our customers, large, small, everything in between and start to meet with them you know, on a frequent basis and say, this is what we're thinking. Now, here's the problem. I think we're all aligned that this is a good problem to solve. Here's how we think we're going to solve it. And so we'll iterate on that. You know, that can take weeks, months. You, know, you want to be fast to market, but you got to balance that with knowing that it's actually going to meet the market needs. So we'll work with them. And you know, we may have a few concepts. You know, we're not going to introduce 20 different concepts that might solve the problem. You want to focus it a little bit. And, and there is a little bit of intuition there. You know, we've got a lot of folks on our staff who have either been customers who are, have worked in the same space. So we'll leverage that very heavily. What do you guys think? You know, we'll throw some of those out so that when we actually get in front of a customer to start to speak to some of these concepts, we have a pretty good idea that it's going to make sense. But we still go through the work. We go through the effort and we'll capture those scores you know, with the customer. Do you think this is going to uh, solve your problem? What do you think of it? Does it excite you? You know, how do you feel? You know, it's a lot of that, you know, user experience type of work that we're really getting into. And, you know, we'll start to throw out some of the concepts. You know, you get feedback from a customer. Hey, that's a great idea, but I don't think you can technically solve that. You know, that's been the holy grail in the industry for years. We, we really don't think you can do it. You know, some of us will say challenge accepted, but, you know, for the most part, it's it's really about gathering that feedback and, and starting to iterate on it and then we just further refine it you know and at some point you'll get to we'll actually build some wireframes out and we'll get things we'll get concepts in front of a customer and then you know you further refine it and at some point then we'll actually have a prototype you know and we'll get them to to actually use it and give us feedback so by the time we actually take something to market i don't want to say it's underwhelming but we feel pretty confident that we've nailed it because we've put in that work up front. And that's really what you have to do to avoid that, that speculative development. It's if you do everything in a vacuum, you know, where you've got a bit of an echo chamber, everybody thinks, hey, this is great. Everyone's going to love it. Customers are going to love it. And you haven't actually talked to a customer. You're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I was going to ask how you juggle those. You, you identify these sort of three characteristics that help you think about the problem, whether it's worth solving. How do you deal with when maybe they're in competition with each other? So I think maybe if we talk about it in, a, in an extreme, maybe in competition is the wrong way to phrase it, but getting at the idea that, you know, how do you prioritize, which is more important. So like one of the things I heard you describe was the idea of how many customers does this impact? So for example, let's say there's, it doesn't impact many customers, maybe it's just your, but it's your top three and the impact to them is catastrophic, but then everyone else, it doesn't impact them. And in fact, addressing that problem might be negative for everyone else. So like, how do you balance those competing priorities? That is actually a great question and something, you know, we, that, that comes up 
Uh, that's a real world problem there. You know, you, you, in the end, you have to make a judgment call. You know, I don't do it in a vacuum. I will bring this data. And of course, you know, my recommendation to our executive team, to my peers, to, to the CEO, and we talk through it. You know, we may get some outside opinions and in the end, we make that judgment call. You know, it may be that we want those top three customers to be happy and it, it ties into your overall strategy. You know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but, you know, I, I guess the safest way to say it is you make a judgment call and you move forward with it. And if it's the wrong call, you know, you'll, you'll iterate on it. You, you don't want to dwell on it and, and second guess yourself. But, you know, that's why we try and use data as much as possible to kind of rule out some of that. Emotion really is, is what it comes down to, you know, but it's a judgment. Uh, I, I was going to pivot a little bit. You know, yeah, you have, Barry, a very uh, technical background. And a lot of the things we're talking about now are a lot. I mean, we haven't talked about bits and bytes and, and code and stuff like that. We're talking about organizational and management and people skills. Uh, how did you, you know, I, I, you know, what we're trying to get hammer in on is you have such a solid ethos as a developer to really create successful, good products. How did you transition from sort of being a developer type to more of a development leader type? Yeah, I mean, another great question. I knew in like seventh grade that I wanted to work with computers. I didn't know software development was a thing. Certainly computer science as a major, you know, I didn't discover until later on into high school, but I... I knew I wanted to work in some form of developing software. And so I never really thought outside of that. Certainly never wanted to get into management. It wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. But, you know, you do this for a while and it can be difficult to keep up with the ever-changing tech stacks and deciding where you want to go. And I think at some point I just said, I want to be in software development. I don't actually want to do the development myself. I want to let the smarter people handle that. And I said, okay, you know, how, how am I going to make this transition? I didn't know. You know, all I knew was technical work. You know, I was fortunate to have a, a good coach and mentor who had gone on to business school and gotten an MBA. And so I started looking into that. Uh, and then I was fortunate to find something called a Master of Science in Engineering Management. It was really for people with technical undergrads who wanted to stay technical. You know, with, with an MBA, I think you uh, it's maybe somewhat stereotypical, but you know, you could branch out into whatever you want. But I knew I, I didn't want to go work at a bank or I didn't want to, you know, go work at someplace non-technical. So for me, it was a great fit. And it really helped me transition from being a technical individual contributor into an entry-level manager working with developers. That's really fascinating. What was the biggest challenge that you discovered as you made that leap? I mean, those are really two completely different things, right? Being the hands-on technical person and then now leading people, which is has some soft skills to it, of course. I'm sure you ran into issues. What was the biggest one? Absolutely. The, the biggest difficulty is learning how to delegate and letting go. You know, when in moments of crisis, which you inevitably encounter, you fall back to what you know. Okay, this customer is on a strict deadline. I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to solve it myself. Well, you know, that works for a while, but it doesn't scale. You know, so you've got to work on how do you develop that next 
generation of leaders underneath you. When you're a new leader, you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about the next uh, minefield you're stepping into and, and how do I get around that? So, you know, as I coach and mentor new managers who have made that same leap, that's the biggest piece of advice I give them is you've got to learn how to let go. You've got to develop trust in the, those developers, but you've got to be able to delegate to them and be able to coach and mentor. For me, that was hard. It was really, really hard. I, I did not do well at it. I was uh, fortunate to, in my the, the job I was in at the time, uh, they had a mandatory um, class that they had all of us go into. And it was really about those soft skills, you know, that you talked about, Ted. And it, it taught me how to do some of those things, you know, where you go to graduate school, you learn the theory on how to do these things. This course, set of courses was the how. So it, it really expand, expanded my toolkit. How do, we, how do you have those tough conversations? How do you learn to delegate things when it's outside your comfort zone? You know, how do you be more introspective? As, a, as developers, you know, we, we tend to have a certain mindset like there's no problem we can't solve. And, you know, we always like to think we're the smartest people in the room because, you know, that, that's just kind of the, the ethos of a developer. And that's that's what makes us good at what we do. It's 100% a mindset shift to go from that individual contributor who is confident you can solve everything to being a servant leader. It's it's not easy, but, you know, those those courses started to really give the, the, the tools I needed to be able to help get there. So you're talking about smart people uh, knowing what they're doing, really smart developers, people who are really on top of stuff. How do you respond to pushback when you go to them and you say, you know, you brought you those three three things, you know, intensity, frequency, density, and you say that the idea you have or the concept you have doesn't really align with that. And, you know, maybe the person on the other end really disagrees with you or just, you know, they have a maybe a bit of an ego. How do you deal with that? I mean, you really have to just be transparent in your goals, helping people understand where you're trying to get to and where you are in that point of the journey. So it's it's being open. It's having the conversation. It's listening. You know, if you take the authoritative approach and just say, listen, I'm the boss. We're doing it this way. Shut up and go do it. You're not going to get very far, you know, but also having been in their shoes as a developer, you know, it's, it's sometimes easy. You get a little bit of street cred, you know, for a little while. That only goes so far, but you, you say, listen, you know, I've been in your shoes. I had a great idea. I thought it was the right way, but I also didn't have the big picture. I didn't understand where we were trying to go. All I could see was, you know, the, the two feet that were in front of me. So it's just really having those open conversations and you know, not stifling the creativity that we need from developers. Yeah. In the end, that probably makes your team a lot better. I hope so. I really do. <laughs> One of the leadership principles that we adhere to at our company is a, is a very hands-off leadership styles. And we, we describe it like a merit, it's a meritocracy, right? We want people to go achieve things. We want them to feel empowered to go do things. We, we definitely don't want anyone being micromanaged. And if anything, maybe it's to a fault, right? Where people sometimes are like, uh, am I even doing the right thing right now? Because there's just such a long leash for everybody. And one of the challenges that maybe sometimes a scenario like that introduces is people aren't really sure if what they're doing, they because people are typically so used to being in a corporate culture that dictates everything they're supposed to do. And we're like, you're smart, let's get out of the way. And that's kind of what I heard you describe was get smart people and then get out of their way. So how do you execute that in ways that people who might not have that broader vision of where the company's going, how do you help them see it and make sure they're doing the right things? 
Yeah, it's it's back to that transparency piece. I mean, you've got to share that end vision of where are we trying to get to and just let them know where we are in the journey, but ultimately where we're getting to and why. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of developers over the years who, you know, like you talked about earlier, where, and I was one of them at one point myself, you know, if you can't see that end vision, it just really it bogs you down. You know, why are we doing this? This is stupid. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand what I'm contributing to. But even if you disagree with it, as long as you understand, okay, I may not like this, but I understand why we're doing it and what we're doing. It goes a long way because then at least you can make a conscious decision as a developer to say, okay, going to get on board with that or am I not? And if, if you're in that vacuum, you, you just don't have the big picture enough to even be able to make that decision. So you're just going to second guess things. Love it. Well, as our time here comes to a close, Barry, thank you so much for all the wisdom and insight. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with? Go out there and experiment. You know, talk to your customers, ask them, you know, be a partner with them. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for a vendor. They're looking for a partner and, and help them be that partner. I love it. Ben, anything before we go? No, I just want to thank you, Barry, for joining us. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not in development. I don't do that on a day-to-day basis, but the things you talk about kind of inspire me in my day-to-day job. <laughs> so, you know, I think the three things you brought up, the intensity, frequency, density principle, you could apply to a lot of things. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ted, for having me. This has been a blast. Um, Enjoyed myself. Great. Yeah. Barry, thanks for being on the show. And for everyone listening, if you want to learn more about what Barry's up to, just head over to tedharrington.com backslash podcast. So Ben, that was was pretty interesting. We just had a cool chat with Barry. We're trying a new thing, a new format in our show right now, now that you've joined me to help co-host, which is being able to do a little postmortem and talk amongst ourselves about some of the ideas that we we identified and maybe dig a little deeper into them. So what's your initial read on there? I mean, we talked kind of about two primary things, right? One about problems and one about leadership. What really stood out to you? And I, I mean, I think what really stood out for me was the two ideas, uh, problems we're solving and the speculative development thing. Yeah, I think in the tech industry in general, not just in development, you hear a lot of stories about businesses that don't have a purpose or these weird high con- con- concept ideas that are like, wow, this thing is really neat. I don't know how we're going to make money on it. I don't know how we're going to serve an audience with it. But I mean, Barry's process really gets into coming up with products and solutions that actually makes sense, regardless of whether the tech is neat or cool or not. And to me, I think if you're a a leader in tech, that's something you should be taking away. Yeah, I was very I was listening super selfishly, to be honest, because I feel like the and even the way I posed the question about, well, what do you do when maybe you have these competing priorities where it's a really burning problem? but not for all your customers. How do you deal with that? And on our software side of the house at ISE with our, our vendor risk management product with Start, we find that we come across that all the time where one customer is like, you have to build this functionality and the rest of the customers don't want it. And so it's like, well, h- how do you do that? What was, your, what was your thinking as you're hearing him talk about that in terms of how we might apply some of that at ISE? Well, I mean, you don't want to dismiss anybody's needs or desires you know, as bad, you know, even if it's not something that you want to do or can achieve, it seems to me that you want to at least acknowledge that there's a reason for this stuff happening, right? You came up with, you want this feature in your iteration of your software. I understand where you're coming from. These are the challenges to go across that. You're talking about on on the software side, I deal with on the services side as well, where people ask us to do all sorts of things that aren't exactly our, our, our core mission. And the truth is, is that if you're going to be a good 
business or service provider or organization, whatever you are, the things you have to provide have to provide, provide real solutions and need to be really good at what you do. And if you can't do that, those things, maybe the best thing to do is to be a partner with somebody else who can actually achieve them at a high level or do, or still, you know, find some, acknowledge what's important about what's being asked of you and find a solution to it, even if it's not something you can do yourself. Yeah. I've, I've observed you do exactly what you just described and I've really been in awe of your ability to do it where it does. I mean, that's the weird thing about being security consultants, right? People are like, can you just do this? And then they insert something that is like, what? No, I don't, I don't think anyone can do what you just asked, but we have to figure out, okay, well, how do we, how do we, how do we help them? And sometimes helping them involves not even hiring us at all. It's go talk to this other person. What, what's in your mindset as you are working through that? You're, you're presented with something where you know you can help them in some way. Maybe they haven't even presented the problem correctly. How do you deal with that? It's really, uh, it could be a real challenge. When I'm doing exploratory calls, and I do a lot of them, <laughs> I basically create a pretty loose agenda. Hey, my name's Ben. I'm here just to chat with you. Tell me about what you're doing. What are the goals of your business? And, and sort of start at the high, high level and move a little bit more detailed as you go and really figure out what we're trying to achieve here. Hopefully you get there quickly, but you have to stay that way. I mean, even if you wanna come back around to the services that you offer, fundamentally speaking, if you're not actually speaking to their goals, you're not gonna be able to work with them. So it, it really has to come from a position of empathy. I, I don't have any other bright ideas other than that, just to be a really good listener and really make sure you understand what's being asked of you. Well, you are that. You are a good listener. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the compliment Ben hour. Thank you for attending our yeah, podcast. Yeah, we've decided to, <laughs> we've decided to create a new format for the podcast. The first 20 minutes we interview someone and the second 10 minutes I get complimented. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a terrible format to hey, me. Hey, it works for uh, me. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with it. So <laughs> awesome. Well, Ben, uh, I really enjoyed doing this episode with you. You know, it's the first time We've done this, and I hope it will. I'm, I'd be curious to hear from anyone who ever li who listened to this episode to be like, what did we do right or what did we do wrong? You and I are gonna go debrief after this, but you know we're both the kind of people who want to constantly do better, and uh, I'm excited to see where this will go. This episode actually reminded me of when I, you know, first started interviewing people on the podcast and how far the, I guess, refined, I should say, the process has, has been. So I'm really excited to go on that journey with you. I hope our audiences as well. And uh, yeah, it's been fun, man. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. We will catch you next time. Thanks for hanging around with me and Ben having a little chat. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.